want you to get your Bible and turn to Jude, the first chapter. A couple of you giggled, didn't you? You know why they're giggling? There's only one chapter in Jude. Jude chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. I'm always very prayerful and uh, careful about how I approach this pulpit. I never want this to be a place where I simply speak speak my own opinions because that's not what this pulpit is for. This is not a political place, though there are a lot of people out there that call themselves reverend and use podiums just like this to preach political stance. This pulpit is a place where that the word of God is to be spoken. The opinions and the ideas of man, if they don't in some way illustrate or bring application to that, then they are out of place in this pulpit. Am I right? This is a place, a pulpit, where that we are to hear from the heart of God. And I take that very seriously. After all these years, I I guess, uh, let's see, what would it be? 32 years, 33 years of preaching behind a pulpit, and I am still just about as nervous every morning as I was the first few times that I did this. I have prayed that that nervousness will never go away because I don't ever want to become so familiar with speaking for God that it's just a trite thing. But I literally stand here today in hopes that I am going to bring to you his words, his thoughts. That's been my prayer. You say, well, it sounds like you're going to get kind of serious. You've been kind of serious about the last six weeks. Surely it can't get any worse. We just wrapped up a a pretty serious series on lordship, didn't we? And last week we talked about idols. God is doing a a tremendous work in, in this family, in this church. And if you were one of the last ones to get here today, you know that uh, that you had a hard time finding a place to park your car if it hadn't have been for people out in the parking lot showing you places to park that were not spaces, you would not have known what to do because the parking lot is more than full. And uh, the you look around the sanctuary and it looks pretty good in here today and you see that there are some seats that are empty, but I'm going to tell you something. If you were to go, if you're just to take off and walk around a little bit, you'll find out that down in Children's Church, they are busting at the seams. That there are on any given Sunday down in Children's Church, there's uh, around 135 kids. Over in Building B, there are 60 to 70 people that are worshiping the Lord in Spanish. All at the same time, while you're in this room, there are a lot of people on this campus right now. And as I stood there listening to this worship this morning, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said there need to be a lot more. That this, I guess I'm a little bit biased, but this is a special place. I think there's a lot of really good churches, but I think this one's the best. And I think that, well, you can give the Lord praise if you want. But we're going to have to make room for more people, aren't we? And and I think that um, 
that what that what that's going to look like is going to look a little bit different over the next several months. That there's but but in order for for all the people that you're thinking of that could have used this worship this morning and perhaps the word that is coming, but they're not here because if they came here just five minutes ago and there and there was no place to park, they may have drove on. And in light of that, there's going to have to be some changes made, and we got to make room for some folks. And we're going to talk about how we're going to do that later on in the days and the months to come, I'm sure. But I stood there this morning in the midst of the, of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I had that feeling of, a, of a, a, a proud dad. And I know that there's people in this room, there's several in this room that are older than I am, and I'm not old enough to be your dad, and I understand that. Certainly 22 years ago when I came, I was one of the youngest ones in the sanctuary, and I certainly wasn't old enough to be anybody's dad back then. They all thought I was just a pup, but they were kind enough to endure me. But over the years, I've been here long enough to get as old as most of you and older than a lot. And even those of you that are older than I am, I sense such a kindred spirit to, and I still have that fatherly feeling in me that says, I am here to protect you and to take care of you and to provide for you the best that I can. And that I'm not the one that you follow, but I'm simply the one that stands in a pulpit and says, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm going to do the best I can. So I am very uh, unsure, have been very unsure this morning about how to approach this word because I want to make sure that it's delivered in the, the, the vein that God wants it to be because our God is, uh, is, is so loving. As much as the devil hates you, God loves you much, much more. And the word of God, when it is delivered correctly, it, it, it heals and it, it does, it does cut between bone and marrow. It does do a surgical spiritual work, but it always is a healing thing. And so, uh, anytime if you ever see a preacher get up in a pulpit and tell people they're going to go to hell and he's got a smile on his face, he's probably not the guy that should be standing in that pulpit. Because the ones who approach the pulpit with that sincere of a message and that serious of a message do so with tears drip, dripping down and off of their cheeks. Because you can't bear to think of anybody spending eternity in hell. And so as a pastor and as a father, I approach this today uh, very soberly and reverently and carefully to make sure that what I'm about to say to you is not perceived in any way other than the way that I think God is trying to communicate this. I, uh, I, I want you to look at this Jude verse 14. And we're going to talk about a group of people that Jude tells us to watch out for. It says there in 14 that Enoch was the seventh person after Adam. That's older than any of us. Can you imagine how long ago that was? The seventh person after Adam, even when people were living eight and nine hundred years at a time, doesn't mean that they were waiting that long to have the second generations, but people that were having children by the time they were 50, 60 like they are now, would make someone in the seventh generation a person that lived probably 5,000 years ago. So where I'm going with this is I want you to understand that what we're about to talk about this morning is not a new thing, but it's something that Enoch warned about 5,000 years ago. 
which basically states that people haven't changed a lot in 5,000 years. Uh, culturally, there are some differences. Certainly, technology-wise, there are some differences. But when it comes right down to the gist of how people think, live, act, work, love, and carry out their lives, we haven't changed a lot. Yet Enoch noticed something in a specific group of people in his day that he thought was worthy, warning everyone else about. And then Jude later picked up on that theme and prefer or referenced him in order to preach the message he was about to preach. He said Enoch was the seventh person after Adam. And he was talking about these people, these people that we're going to talk about today. He was talking about these people when he said, look, the Lord is coming with thousands and thousands of holy angels to judge everyone. And he will punish all those ungodly people for all the evil things they've done. The Lord will surely punish those ungodly sinners for every evil thing that they've ever said about him. And I wrote in my notes, wow, who are these people that he's referring to in this text? Today, I'm going to begin a two-part message. It'll be this week and next. Today, we're going to talk about identify the ways to identify these people he's talking about. And next week, we're going to talk about what we're to do in spite of these people. It's a serious word. Last Wednesday night, I, I was preaching in the Wednesday night Bible study. And I just asked people to give a show of hands if they were, and I know in, in, in any kind of a uh, Branson magic show, you can get up and say, I perceive that someone here has a headache. And there, if you got four people in the room, somebody, you got a really good chance somebody's got a headache, right? You know? And so a lot of charlatans that call themselves preachers pull the same kind, they'd have the same kind of antics. I, hang on a minute, I'm here for the Lord. I think someone here in this room... I think maybe you're right, maybe it's your right knee, you know, they, they start that, and then five people are like, man, my right knee's hurting, you know, it's really strange, it's hurting, it got crushed five years ago, and I've been on drugs ever since, but it's really weird, it's hurting. I mean, you got a really good chance when you throw those generic blanket things out there. Now, sometimes they're real specific. And when it gets real specific, then you, you do what the Lord tells you to do and you lay that out there. And then the Lord ends up, uh, he ends up getting that where it needs to go. And I understand all of that. And I'm certainly not in any way uh, speaking against the Holy Spirit, giving us discernment and giving us those words of wisdom and knowledge because he, he, he does that for me. And I'm very, very thankful when he does. But when I asked Wednesday night if there were people in that room that were experiencing an especially difficult storm in their life, man, hands just start popping up. I wasn't just talking about a storm because, hey, everybody in this room, you know, if I say, you know, if there's any, I just have a feeling that there's somebody in this room that's having financial difficulties. If that's you, raise your hand. There's probably going to be 50, 60 hands go up. I just have a feeling that someone in this room is experiencing grief. Someone in the family that you love dearly has passed away within the last two years. Yeah, everybody in the room. I just have a feeling that someone in here knows someone that went through a car accident within the last 25 years. You know, I mean, 
I can do that. But I won't. But Wednesday night when I was, I was drilling down specifically, and if you were in that room, you remember what that was all about. And when I came to that part where I specifically said, does this relate to you? Hands went up all over the room, and it confirmed to me something the Holy Spirit's been speaking to my heart personally now for several months. There is a storm coming. There's a storm coming. Now, some of y'all just seized up. God help me if it's going to be worse than the one I've already been in, right? Because many of you have been in a storm. Deb and I, were, we were evaluating this driving down the road the other day. And I said, Deb, think about something. I said, go back two years. I said, just go back two years and think about everything that has happened in our lives in the last two years. It has been a major whirlwind but me saying that i'm saying that to you and i'm already seeing heads doing like this like the little like the little bobbleheads in the back of grandma's car because the last two years for you have been the same thing but i'm not just talking today about a bill that came in friday and you're not sure how you're going to pay it or the fact that you might get a headache tomorrow or now I'm talking about a storm. I love to hear from the Lord. I'm no better than anybody else. Certainly don't deserve to hear from him and you probably hear from me more than I do. But over the last couple of months, the Lord has been so very kind to me to speak to me in dreams Visions, confirmations that people will walk through and hand me notes that's, that word, that, that by word confirm what he's showing me, speaking to me, saying things to me right down here in the front last week or two weeks ago, he spoke something to my heart. Two weeks ago, he said something to me. Last week, as I walked out, a person that wasn't here the week before, never been here before to my knowledge, as he walked out, handed me a note, and it verbalized what the Lord had shown me the week before. It's too specific to be coincidental. And I can't go completely into the dream because uh, so much of it is personal. But I do want to share with you the very beginning of this, the first part of a dream that the Lord gave me. And, and it was so real, I'll never be able to forget this. And I've shared this with the staff and others and different ones and have, have received wisdom and, and uh, uh, interpretation to this dream from different ones and prayed about it. And I think, I think I'm, I'm pretty close to having an idea about what it means. But I was in a cargo plane, guys. I was just in a cargo plane and, the, 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 and, and, and there were several of us in that plane and we were seated in a circle. We weren't seated like you normally are in a plane. We're seated in a circle and we're flying and all of a sudden the most... Horrific turbulence that I've ever experienced, and I've been in a lot of planes, and a lot of you were with me in those planes. But the worst turbulence that I had ever experienced, the plane literally shuddered and felt like it was going to fall apart. The whole left side of the plane just dropped, and then it went the other way. And then the right wing flipped up and almost flipped the plane upside down, came back, the plane shuddered. And begin to spin like, you remember those, those games we used to play where that you spin the deal to, to see where it lands? That's how that plane began to spin. 
And I remembered being mortified. I wasn't just scared. I was mortified. I wish I could say I was a hero and that I stood up in the middle of it and said, hang on, everybody, it's going to be fine. But I was not Paul in the shipwreck. In fact, in the dream, all I could think about doing was grabbing onto something just as hard as I could to brace myself for what I thought was inevitable. We were going to crash. But instead of doing so, I remember coming to a place within a split second where that I threw both of my arms up in the air and I said, "Okay, God, whatever. And the next scene, I was somewhere else. And we didn't crash. I can't give you the rest of that dream or the other dreams that follow that are simply confirmations over and over of something that is going on. I can't do that yet. Maybe someday I'll be able to do that. But I can give you the first part of it for this reason. The Lord spoke through various individuals and said, the plane, the cargo plane represents the ministry. There are other people in in the plane with us. There was even a, there was even someone in the plane, Pastor Randy Trevino, who right now is afraid to get on a plane because he was in the plane with me in the dream. Deb keeps going to him saying, Pastor Randy, you can fly. It's not literal. It's not literal. He's like, I had a trip planned. He's like, go ahead. But that he being in that plane with me represented international ministry, not just ministry, but international ministry. Because Pastor Randy, you know, Pastor Randy's born in Mexico and he's our Hispanic pastor. Anyway, whatever that means. And there were several other people in the plane, eight or ten other, eight or ten of us total in that plane. And the word being that as terrible as the storm and as violent as the storm was that caused the plane to shudder, to shake, to spin and to fall. It wasn't strong enough to cause it to crash. And at the end of all things, the ministry was still intact. The people were still okay. The second part of that dream and another dream that was confirmed to me from a person I hadn't seen in years and years who used the exact same wording said that in the other parts of it, again, there was a house and it represented the ministry and the house was still standing. So in all of this, I want you to take take calm and, and be okay in the fact that their storm was coming. It was very violent in nature. It was the worst I had ever seen. But at the end of it, the ministry and everybody was okay. So that's good news right there. Amen? But... The storm itself was the worst I'd ever encountered. And I've been through a few storms. And I've been prepared for a lot of battles, just as you have. And the Lord's allowed different experiences throughout my life to prepare me for where he takes me just like he does for you. So I said to Deb, well, as bad as things have been, I mean, here we are. We're hoping that that was that, that that it's over. But I said, well, I don't think it can be because if that's all it is, I've seen worse. Huh? I've been in worse situations than that. 
I remember one time when I was, when I was presbyter over 34 churches in section one and one of them had problems and the people got mad at me and I was getting lots of phone calls until finally somebody called me and told me, don't go to that church by yourself no more. I had to take Heather with me. She's about that big. We left there one night. She said, Daddy, those people don't like you. She said, they said some really bad things about you that you couldn't hear. Yeah, I know, baby. It's all right. So having been through a couple of goat ropings in a county fair or two, this that I see is not that big of a deal. Which says to me that there must be more. (laughs) And that the Lord is trying to prepare us because you say, boy, you've been jumping around all the place. Because of where we're going, the fact that we're growing, we got to open up, we got to make room. More people need to be need to experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what's going on in this place. And the devil hates us, but God loves us. But the devil doesn't want that to happen. I know that sounds pretty spiritual. And so he would do anything that he could to destroy me and you so that won't happen. But my own personal battles would not be enough to warrant a storm such as what I saw in that dream. Personal battles for me is not going to affect 800 people. But if you have a storm and I have a storm at the same time, if we're all in a storm, a really bad storm, at the same time, that would get our attention, wouldn't it? Because a lot of you are saying, oh, I know so-and-so, man, they're, going, they're really having it rough. I mean, they have death in the family, they had, they had this, they had illness, they had this. You know, everybody can think of somebody, but, but, but I'm going to tell you, when, when I'm in a storm and you're in a storm, and it's the worst storm you've ever been in, to the point that you don't know whether to grab a hold or turn loose or cry out or what, then when we get all of us in a place like that, then we're in a storm. And that may be what is facing us for the next several months until we get this thing opened up so that more people, are you with me, can be a part of what God is going to do. In light of all that, it's not a new thing. The devil's been fighting the, been fighting God and fighting the church forever. He was fighting God before there was a church. And that's why we're talking about what Enoch said. Enoch was way before the New Testament church as we know it. And he's saying that, that these people existed then. Understanding that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers and dark places. Isn't that correct? That the people that bother you, the people that you would refer to perhaps in an anger, anger state as an enemy, are really not the problem in your life at all. There's a spirit in them that causes them to do what you don't like. But people are people... Jesus died for all. He loves them all. Our Father loves them all, wants to save them all. But there are people that allow themselves to be used by a spirit that will bring destruction to everyone around them. These are the people Enoch is talking about. And these are the people that I got to warn you as a daddy about today. Because regardless of my storm or your storm, there will probably be people that will be instrumental in trying to bring about that negative thing in your life, okay? 
So when your storm starts brewing, you are probably, there's probably going to be somebody that you're initially going to say they're the problem, but you need to remember they're not. There's a spirit working in and through them. They have become one of these people. But God loves these people and wants to save them too and might use you to be a positive influence in their life and you may have to pray for those that persecute you until he can save them. But the church is still supposed to be warned and understand how to acknowledge these people. So this message today is to two different groups of people. First of all, it's to those of you who are going to go through the storm like me. We need to be able to readily acknowledge these people so that we don't allow them to get us in a place we don't want to be. And secondly, it is for these people if you happen to be in the room. And you're the one that I have desperately prayed for and cried for this morning because I've said, God, this is your chance to give a warning to someone. And if the word doesn't come across as it should, if it's perceived as angry or if it's perceived as judgmental, then they won't receive that word. God, this word has to come across loving, has to come across kind. It has to come across in your spirit because only that way will the individuals that are in trouble, will they be able to receive that without being angry and allow the Holy Spirit to change them before something bad happens. So I'm speaking to two groups of people. I'm either speaking to you to tell you who to watch out for or if you're the person, I'm telling you what you're doing. And then at the end, we're going to contend with it. You say, at the end, how much longer is this going to go? Only a couple more hours and I'll be done. I want to take a couple of minutes and dissect this, this, this book. And there's only one chapter, but between today and next week, we're going to, we're going to teach and preach the book of Jude. And Jude provides us a pretty comprehensive list of how to detect these people that we've been talking about. If you, they're going to put these on the screen because I want you to see the magnitude of this and I want you to be able to see it. Each one's going to be listed and you're going to be able to see this comprehensive list and you're going to say, wow. You're going to say, wow, I hope that's not me. Or you're going to say, wow, I hope I don't know somebody like that. But here's what Jude says. These people are, verse 4, sneaking in among us. Sneaking in among us. Why are they sneaking? Well, you always got to sneak when you're trying to bring something that's not good. Amen? Amen? Two, verse four, denying obedience. Now, I'm not going to read the verses to you. You have to just look at them. You can, as you, as we walk through this, you can look at them with me. But verses five through seven illustrate three examples of people and angels who were guilty of this sin of denying obedience. Verse five, he talks about the ones that were in Egypt. The ones he rescued from Egypt. Verse six, he talks about the angels who didn't do right. They were cast out of heaven. Verse seven, he talks about the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. And how that all three of those were punished because they denied obedience, obedience to God. Number three, verse eight. The third one is these people are rejecting authority. They don't, they don't acknowledge or accept any authority. They are re- rebellious to any authority. 
if that authority doesn't speak what they want to hear. Now, they're okay with authority as long as that authority is saying what they want to hear. Amen? But as soon as that authority says something they don't want to hear, then they reject that authority outright. They are not in a position to have ever, have ever had to deal with authority correctly so that they, they will not accept authority when it is not to their best interest or favor in their mind to do so. Verse 8. Number 4. They are insulting powers that they don't know anything about. That's verse 8 through 10. That means they're making false accusations. Talking about these people and how they're going to how they're going to be a part of your storm. Watch out for them. Number 5. These people are operating purely out of their feelings. Verse 10. They're not operating out of facts, they're operating out of their feelings, what they think, what they've heard. Emotions. Number six, verses 12 through 13, they are wrongly minded. This verse, these verses tell us about their minds, that their motives are impure. It says they're impure, shameful, selfish, and worthless. And, and it even describes, it says, they spoil the meals you eat together. They're like clouds that are blown along by the wind but never bring any rain. Leafless trees, uprooted and dead, unable to produce fruit. Their shameful deeds show up like foam on wild ocean waves. They're just like wandering stars. They're wrongly minded. Their, their motives are not pure. Let's go on. Number seven, found in verse 16. They are grumbling and complaining. They don't like something. And they're allowing that to cloud everything else. Number eight, verse 16. They are attempting to make themselves look good at the expense of others. Number nine, verse 16. They are flattering others. Now, flattery is not a good thing, is it? You can give someone a, a, a positive comment. And that's worthwhile. But when you flatter some, the, the reason that you flatter someone is for, is for manipulation. They are flattering others in order to ingratiate them to their cause. Verse 16. I'm not making these up. I mean, we're walking right down. Look at it. How are they going to get in there and mess up your life? They're going to flatter somebody in order to ingratiate them to their cause. Number 10, verse 19. This is their motive. They're trying to get you to turn on each other. Causing divisions, causing sides. That's what will happen as we continue to grow. You know, when we, when we very initially joined with the Hispanic congregation, we become one church and we really start throwing our weight behind them to help them really get going. Do you remember at that time? There, there weren't very many, but there were a few people who were like, man, they're taking up facilities, they're taking up parking, they're messing stuff up. There weren't a lot, guys. I was so proud because there wasn't a lot, but there were a couple of people. They're using supplies that aren't theirs. They're going to tear up the bathrooms. Like, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't get that. I'll tell you who tears up bathrooms. Kids. White, black, yellow, red, green with purple polka dots. Kids tear up bathrooms. They tear up your house and your car. They're going to tear up the church. 
Right? But this person, these people, the way that they'll get their thing done, the way they'll get where they're trying to go is by trying to get you to turn on each other. Now that, now that we've been together with this congregation all these years and we've grown the way we have, we're best friends back and forth and, and we're in and out of each other's services and in and out of each other's homes and, and, and we're not even separated by a language boundary because we figured out how to communicate even when we don't speak the same language. We're one family and we love each other and we're loyal to each other. But I'm going to tell you something. People would do anything to try to get in and divide. Someone with an impure motive. If they can, if little kids can do it at home between their parents, you know what spirit those children are operating out of. It's not the Holy Spirit. Daddy said, Mama said, well, hang on, let me go see what Mama said. That's not the Holy Ghost those little children are operating out of. He loves them. Jesus loves the children, but they're full of the devil sometimes. <laughs> they haven't reached a gauge of accountability yet. They're not operating out of it. And I'm going to tell you something. It's that same kind of immature spirit, though, that will try to infiltrate a family, try to drive a wedge in your family, try to drive a wedge in your church family. Somebody will try to drive that. They try to get you to turn on each other, cause divisions, schisms, is what the Bible called them in the New Testament. Number 11, verse 19, they are not of God. They don't have his spirit. That's serious stuff. And so Judas telling the, the New Testament church, and he's using all the way back to Enoch to do it. He's saying that we have to identify these people so we will not allow their poison to infect us. That the spirit that's using them is of the devil. And we're not going to allow their venom to spread among our church. Older, more mature believers discern these things, but, we've, but we have got a responsibility as older believers to guard the new believers against predators. And I do use that word, predators. The word warns us. The word of God warns us to watch out for these people. And there's more. Then he begins to list what's going to befall these people if they proceed with this evil cause. I want you to listen to these four warnings. And I mean this sincerely. If you think that if you think you're identifying with these things I'm saying today, I pray that you're not angry, but that you're listening and heeding the Holy Spirit. Because these warnings are in here. And they're very, very real. Verse 11 says these people are in for real trouble. Verse 11 says, these people are rebelling against God. Verse 11 says, these people are going to be destroyed. Verse 13 says, and this may be the worst, these people are doomed to the darkest pits of hell. Why? Why is this so serious? The Lord gave me a picture maybe a month or so ago of his people being the tool that God works with. Maybe you're a hammer. Maybe you're a saw. Maybe you're a screwdriver. But whatever it is that God is working on and if you're in his hand, 
If someone comes along and tries to destroy that tool he's working with, he's going to be pretty upset. Is he not? Huh? You say, I've been trying to, to work for the Lord. I, he given me, he's given me something to do. I'm really doing the best I can about this, but I just keep feeling I'm an onslaught. I just keep feeling the, the enemy just keeps coming against you. Of course he does. Uh, and maybe even other people, that these people that, that are come against you. I'm simply saying to you that if the picture that, the, that I felt like the Lord gave me is true, they're in real trouble. Because if you picture God with a hammer and he's trying to build something and somebody, while he's working, is trying to tear that hammer out of his hand so they can destroy it, at some point he's going to get pretty upset. Leave my hammer alone. Am I right? This is the picture that we get. Verse 17 issues the warning. My dear friends, he says, remember the warning that you were given by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, won't people that he's talking about, wouldn't they like come from outside? Well, probably not because we, we wouldn't know or trust outsiders, would we? Like when they come in now, I mean, the Lord's given us procedures to protect the church, nobody walks into this particular body of Christ and does ministry right away. There are, there are, the scripture tells us to watch those that, that labor among us. And so when people come to our church, we embrace them, we love them, we hug them, we get them, we get them plugged into the, to the, 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 the discover class and, and, and test the spiritual gifts. We do all these kinds of things because we're, we're excited God has sent them. But at the same token, we're very responsible for what God is doing, that nothing happens to destroy that. So I don't think that these people are going to be someone that comes from the outside uh, one Sunday carrying a sign saying, here I am to destroy your church. Because we'd be like, take your sign, head on out. We see you coming. I don't think so. Have you ever thought about how a worm gets inside an apple? Some of you smart folks know, don't you? You think that the worm sees the apple and says, wow, I'm going to eat that. No. Scientists who study this say that what happens is the insect lays an egg on the apple blossom. And later on, that blossom turns into an apple and that egg becomes the insect that now must eat its way out. Kind of the way that sin works in a church. The worm begins in the heart and it works out through a person's thoughts and words and actions. Some of you may have become a little bit frightened and alarmed. I'm not trying to scare you. Don't do that. But I'm, 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 I'm very excited about the storm that's coming because I've also learned, you know, the, the, the three phases of, of spiritual growth, just like physical growth, nutrition, and then exercise, and then rest. And in the spiritual, that would be feed on the word. Then you go through the test and the trial, and then you experience the peace of God. That's how those three things, and, and that, they're, that they're in relation to one another. And so if we're really feeding, real, we've really been feeding, hadn't we? We man, we've been eating, and then we're getting ready to go through this terrible storm, but think about the peace that's coming. 
That's what motivates me. I'm really excited about this because I've already heard from the dream that we're not going to be destroyed. So I'm cool with that. I'm looking forward to what God is going to do and the increase that we're going to see and how the enemy is going to be destroyed again. But what worries me are these people that are going to cause you trouble or that are really going to cause themselves a lot of trouble. And that's what the Lord has sent me here today to do, to warn us about so that we don't allow that to happen because the storm's coming, and in the storm, sometimes you get real confused, don't you? And you need to remember what Jude said about these people so that it doesn't catch you off guard. And, and you write those things down, and you say, oh, what did he say? Jude said that these people would do, oh, yeah, that's what they're doing. He said they do that. Yep, that's what they're doing. Now, who is that? Oh, that's those people that we're supposed to watch out for. We're supposed to stay away from. We're supposed to love and pray for because if they keep this up, something real bad is going to happen to them. But we're praying that that's not the case. Sincerely praying that that is not the case. We're not going to be afraid. I want you to listen to how this particular pilot attempted to settle his, his customers in, in the middle of a storm. The, the plane was in great turbulence. He was an excellent pilot, but he wasn't very good at making the passengers feel at ease. And so some of the passengers had become alarmed at how much the wings were bending. Have you ever flown in a storm and see the wings? I mean, it's kind of weird when the wings start looking like birds. Like, this is not good. And one of the flight attendants was taking note of how some of the people were starting to talk and they were becoming visibly alarmed and scared. So she went up, knocked on the door, and said to the captain, hey, you know, I think maybe you should address the people and just let, you know, let them know that everything is okay. And so here in a minute, he flips on the intercom and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I've been informed that some of you have noticed our wings bending in the turbulence. In fact, the flight attendant told me that the wing tips are bending as much as 10 feet in the bumps. And he said, but listen, that's perfectly normal. There's nothing to worry about. Our wings are designed to bend as much as 13 feet. At the tips, and as you can see, we're nowhere near that yet. If you're on that plane, what are you thinking? Three more feet and we die? Right? Some of you are here sitting through this this morning. You're like, oh, three more feet and we die? No. No, it's good. Everything's good. We just need to spend some time in prayer that God will give us discernment how to handle these people when we encounter them because we're going to. And you need to understand something about, about the way that the enemy tries to use these people. He, these four words can pretty much characterize what we put on that board. If the enemy can do these four things in your life, then you will never be effective. And right now he knows that our church is poised to, to, to take another step and to become something greater than, than it ever has been because the Lord has spoken that he wants to do that. So the enemy wants to try to keep us from doing that. And these four things is what the devil tries to do. Number one, distract. So if he can distract 
your attention away from a purpose because we're fixing to come in here and say, hey, here's where we're going. Let's all rally together. Here's what we need to do. And if you'd be like, well, I don't have time to think about that or hear what he's saying is I'm distracted by a problem in my life. He's up there talking about we need to go to multiple services and I've got this terrible storm going in my life. Can he not relate to what's going on to me? Yeah. But I choose that I am not going to become distracted by my storm. He will try to distract. He will try to disrupt. He will try to discourage. Pastor's all fired up. He's so excited. He says he's going through a storm, but you can't ever tell it. Guy, just run, run, run. Well, I don't feel like that. I'm discouraged. The devil's been mean to me. You know what? I like it when the devil's mad. I like it when he's attacking me because it makes me feel special. (laughs) I'm somebody the devil hates. He don't like me. It means I got his attention. I don't like him either. And I know who is in me is greater. So he will disrupt, he will distract, he will discourage, and he will try to destroy. That is his ultimate purpose in any church that is thriving, growing, doing what God wants it to do. His ultimate goal there is to get in somewhere, cause trouble somewhere, get people off track some way, shut this thing down, and he can't do it from the outside. He's got to do it from the inside. Get the members turning on each other. Get them mad at each other. Get them upset about something. Get something going on so that they won't stay focused on their purpose. And I am today warning us about that and saying let's beware of his tactics. We're not going to be surprised. We're not going to be defeated. The the plane is not going to crash, folks. It's not going to crash. It's not going to crash. I already saw it. And not just me, but it's been confirmed. Different people have spoken in my life, didn't even know me, have confirmed that the plane is not going to crash. It's going to (laughs) shake. It's going to shudder. It's going to spin. Things in your life are going to get scary. It can't just be my storm, because if I had a storm and you didn't have a storm, it wouldn't be a storm. So I just have a feeling the Lord laying on my heart that we're about to go through this together. But, but that's it. We're going to go through this together. And the Lord is in control. And he's taken care of all this. And he's already shown us the end. And the end is awesome because of what the Lord is going to do. And you're going you're gonna to be able to, 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 to bring more and more people into his presence. And see their lives changed. It's a good word. It's an exciting word. And the good news is, that's just half of it. Next week, you dare to show up, I'm going to hit you with the rest of it. All 12 of you that come back next week are in for it. It's what you get for coming back next week. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you love us so much. I know that the devil hates us so much, but you love us so much more than he can hate. And I'm grateful and thankful to be on your team. I love your presence. I love your spirit. I love the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. I love clarity of purpose. I love being able to have clear vision. I love knowing where you're going because if we listen, we can follow your lead. I love being able to go where you're going.
God, we're not going to succumb to distractions and disruptions, discouragements along the way. We see, we know, we've been warned, we know it's coming, but we're not afraid. We see the end and we will, we will stay together, we will grow, we'll keep on going. Oh, how we're going to make hell mad. And I'm excited about it, Lord. I pray today for all of us who are here. You know my heart. You know how I love all of these folks. Today, two groups of people that you impress on my heart to pray for. First of all, those who are the church that are about to or maybe are already in the storm. Maybe the storm of their life. I don't know. And I pray for them. I pray that this word has been an encouragement to them today to hold on. And Lord, I, my heart is broken for these people that might be the source of a problem. That they are not the problem themselves. They're being used by a spirit and may not even acknowledge it, Lord. But they're in such danger. And I pray today, Lord, and we're not gonna we're not gonna point anybody out or have anybody acknowledge anything or raising hands or things like God. We're not doing any of that today. I'm just asking that where they are there, where they are sitting or standing, wherever they might be right now, wherever they are, within the sound of my voice, or by the listening of this message at a later point that they'll be changed that God in their heart they won't be angry but do convict them and help them Lord to receive a word a beckoning from the spirit how much you love them you do not want them to be among those who are destroyed but how God how you are attempting to love them to reach them to bring them to yourself before it's too late and I pray for those individuals, Jesus. All across this room, we, we make this a place of prayer every Sunday morning. Where you're seated, you can either sit there, kneel there, stand there, come to the altar, go wherever you want to go. But I want you to pray with me. Would you pray with me this twofold prayer? Pray that God give us strength for the storm. And he'll remind us of his word throughout. And also, would you help me pray that if there are any of these people Enoch talked about, either here now or on their way, that they will heed this word, the warning, and that they'll change. Would you help me pray that all over this room? Let's make this a place of prayer. Let's just take these things to God right now for the next few minutes.